The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Today marks the return of the fantastic Kevin Gordon, a commercial airline pilot for a major national airline who volunteers here at the museum. And he once again answers questions that you, the listener, submitted about being a pilot. In this episode, he answers questions about airplane toilets, education for people interested in becoming pilots, and what it's like to train naval pilots who are used to landing the most powerful jets in the world, how to land a little old propeller plane on a municipal runway. I am back here today with Kevin Gordon. Thank you so much for joining me again. Very glad to be here. Thank you. And Kevin, we have some more questions from listeners about your experience as a first officer in the commercial airline world. That's what I'm here for. So the first question is uh, from Levi in Kirkland, who asks, how do you start your flying career? Very, very open-ended question there. Very, and it could be a very long answer. I'm going to give you the two main ways to start. And one is military, obviously, and there's a lot of people that go into the military, come out from the military, and fly. And then there's the civilian way, which is what I did. And I chose to go to a university that had an aviation program, and I went to Central Washington University. I'm going to give them a plug because I... (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. I went through that program there. It was a four-year flying career, but at the same time, I I had to do math, anthropology, geology, because Alaska Airlines required a degree. They don't care what it's in. My major at Central was flight technology. Doing that, I came out as a flight instructor. So my first job coming out of my program there was as a flight instructor. For like small planes? For small planes, yeah, yep. So I was a flight instructor for the school, like I went through the program, and then I worked my way up from there to fly in bigger, small airplanes, twin engine airplanes, actually ended up getting my helicopter license. Oh, really? I'm a commercial helicopter pilot. That's a whole different world. It was a whole other random fun thing that I got to do. Yeah, See, I'd be I'd be okay. I think learning to fly a plane, flying a helicopter, is more intimidating to me. <laughs> Hovering a helicopter is definitely a challenge, or it's it's a little more of a skill set than say flying an airplane. But I'm glad I got to do it. And um, so then I worked my way up through, and this was post September 11th. So then I worked my way up through flying private jets because the airlines weren't hiring during those years after September 11th. And so I flew private jets and actually moved out to the East Coast and lived in the DC area. Flew private jets there. And then when the airline started hiring about four years ago, then I first got on with Horizon Airlines, which is the regional side of Alaska Airlines. And then got on with Alaska just over three years ago. What a difference a few years makes. I mean, you, And now you, there's a pilot shortage. Yeah. There, so is now a good time to want to become a pilot? Yes, very. 
that was something that surprised me as I got older. I guess I had always assumed that if you were going to become a commercial pilot, you, you needed to go through the Air Force or the Navy. You yep. know, you, you just you have to be military. When I grew up, I thought the same. And I'll say maybe 40% of the pilots in, in a, a class that's going through an airline training, 40% will be, 30 to 40% will be military and the rest will be civilian. Where I think in the past, maybe it was different. It depends on the airline too. But um, no, it, it's less than 50-50 and, uh, in terms of people that come from the military and people that have student loans like me and right. <laughs> went to an aviation university. So. so There's lots of pathways into it. Yes. And if I, some... Oh, and you can you can do it straight and just pay for it. You don't have to have a four-year degree now. Now it's recommended. It's it's a competitive requirement to have a four-year degree. You don't have to have it, but my recommendation to anyone that wants to be a pilot, a commercial pilot, is get your four-year degree. Go to Central, go to UND, go to Embry-Riddle. <laughs> right. And of course, start out at the Museum of Flight's education programs. Start here and talk to me and I'll tell you yeah. exactly how to do it. Exactly. Well, kind of on that note, uh, this this question came from Sean, another Sean, not me, and not the Sean from the last time. A lot of people named Sean sent in questions calling, yeah. uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, who asked, I've always wanted to know if there was any validity to the rumor that you can tell a Navy pilot from an Air Force pilot. Navy pilots park at the end of the runway, rev up, and then take off. And Air Force pilots will roll and power up on the go. Now, you're not from the military world, so I don't know if... No, but I was a flight instructor. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually used to flight instruct out of the Skagit Regional Airport, which is right next to the Whidbey Naval Air Station. Right. <laughs> so I was a flight instructor to a lot of Navy pilots that wanted to come and fly a Cessna for fun. I'll say that they have a different style of flying. They, well, because Navy pilots land, take off and land on a carrier. Right. You have to take off and land on this tiny so strip floating in the water. Some things are ingrained in their blood when they fly. So when I was a flight instructor for some of these Navy pilots that were flying their EA-6Bs out there, high-performance jet, landing on a carrier, they try to land the Cessna, and they hit the ground hard, and they slam on the brakes. <laughs> Which brakes in anything, car, airplane, are very expensive. Like, no, don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll do that. And then I'll show them a takeoff and landing and try to correct their landing style. And they'll come back in and do the exact same thing. <laughs> like, ah, all right, don't need to hit the brakes. You don't need to slam it on the ground. We only need, you know, a thousand feet to land in this Cessna. We're light. <laughs> right. We have 5,000 feet right here. You don't have jets <laughs> on your plane. Yeah. So. And to that extent, as a flight instructor, so as a as a first officer with Alaska, I fly with a lot of pilots from every branch of the military. And once you've been trained and all that, we're pretty standardized, so I can kind of tell them if maybe they're Air Force or Navy, but not so much once you know people have experience. In, right. In, once you've gotten into the commercial mindset, but you yeah. got to break that first. Yeah. Which makes sense. You talked about muscle memory the last time we chatted, and yes, you're yep. just used to it. So. Yep. So that's... Yeah, it would save your life if you were in the Navy <laughs> to hit the brakes pretty hard. So. Yep. Don't want to go off the end of the ship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have another question from Christine in Kirkland, Washington. It's kind of related to the first question. What is the most important thing you would tell someone who wants to become a pilot? First thing, you need to love to fly. You're not going to do this because you want to make money. Maybe towards the end of the career, you will. 
but you do this because you get the flying bug. And I was a flight instructor for many, many, many years. And there's two things that it takes to become a pilot and then to go through all the licenses and ratings to become a commercial pilot. The first is just time. And the second, unfortunately, is monetary. It's money. It's expensive. So if you don't go the military route like we are talking about before, it costs a lot of money to learn how to fly. And you need to have that money up front. I was a flight instructor for a lot of people. And if you start, then you stop, then you start and you stop. You're going to spend a lot more money over the long run because you've forgotten things when you've taken two months off, say, of flying and then started back again. So you need to invest the time and the money and you need to love to fly. Got a question here. Why are airplane toilets so loud? <laughs> the... Um, the airplane lav, it's a vacuum. You know, we're, we're at lower pressure when we're up high. So it's it's a vacuum and it's loud because it needs to suck it down into the tank there before it, it comes out. So there's <laughs> just the mechanics of it. <laughs> okay. Now there's rumors, you hear stories about blue ice and stuff falling or... or All right. So, so in the lav, it's what we call blue juice is in there. Okay. And it's what makes it smell a little better and all that. It's it's just the chemical that they put in to make it a little more aromatic and all that. <laughs> but we call it blue juice. And then I used to actually have to feel airplanes and actually dump the lavatories from airplanes. And it's blue. So it's uh so the blue ice chunks sometimes things freeze on that side of the airplane and it builds up into a ball outside the airplane and then falls and that's the joke and people say oh this you know blue ball fell from the sky and it, you know some of them hit houses i guess and they thought it was a meteorite well no it was just blue juice from an airliner going over that <laughs> it leaked and froze and right made a big enough ball to fall back to <laughs> the right earth. but there you mentioned a tank they don't just pump the stuff out of the bathroom into the air it goes into a receptacle and absolutely yeah. and after every flight they pump it back out and right. then pump in new new blue juice <laughs> called blue juice <laughs> it looks like blue kool-aid but it's not yeah, i guess so I, have, I haven't spent a lot of time staring at it but uh, you probably have over the course of your career mm -hmm. This seems to be a very um, learning-centered episode with all these questions. Here's another question from Ryan here in Seattle who says, would you consider getting your ATP license on par with earning a doctorate? So first, can you explain what an ATP license is and yes. go from there? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so the ATP stands for Airline Transport Pilot. So the common misconception is one of the licenses you can get as a pilot is called your commercial pilot's license. That doesn't mean you're a commercial pilot to fly an airliner. That means you can actually just make money flying a small piston airplane, various jobs there, cargo and everything else. ATP is what you have to have to fly for an airline. In order to do that, you've had to start with your private pilot's license, your instrument rating, your commercial pilot's license that I just talked about, your multi-engine rating, and then for me, my path was flight instructor. Then after flight instructor, well, I did different things. I did my helicopter, and then I did different flight instructor ratings and then when you have a certain amount of hours and it's it's changed now over the years it used to be 1500 hours now it's it can be less but um you can get your atp airline transport pilot 
And since you've gone through all of these, yeah, it's we, what, we like do five call or six it licenses plus. We the... do call it your doctorate in in aviation, because you can only do it. For, I mean, you still have to be twenty three years old. You still have there's a lot of you know different requirements and our requirements. So we in aviation do call it your your doctorate. Beyond that, then you have to get type ratings to fly certain different. Every jet that you fly is a different license. Right, because so flying a seven three seven is different from a seven eight seven, different or from different a, from an Airbus. Well, that is all the time we have for today, Kevin. Thank you again so much for your really time. Really appreciate it, Sean. Now, in addition to being on the podcast, you volunteer in the Alaska Airlines Aerospace Education Center and yes. uh, around the museum. Can you share a little bit about that? I've been involved with the museum since two thousand three. I was actually a museum educator here, and actually, I helped develop the uh, Aerospace Education Center. And I'm here to help educate anyone, but especially people looking towards being a pilot. Right. As you mentioned, there's a shortage. So it's a pilot shortage right now. So I, I'm here to help facilitate, help talk to mentor anyone that wants to be a pilot. And that's my passion. It's what I love to do. Well, Kevin, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. You can check out my previous conversation with Kevin on episode 10 of The Flight Deck in the episode called Do Airplanes Have Keys? If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. Email the show at podcasts at museumofflight.org. And you can find more information about the show and the museum in general at our website, museumofflight.org slash podcast. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying we'll see you out there, folks. Music